Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. Getting a new vehicle can be stressful, but not at Lake Elsinore Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram. That's where surfers go inland to purchase their new and used vehicles. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Surfa CBD, grown by surfers for surfers to help you maintenance your body after a lifetime of surfing. Follow us on Instagram at Surfa, S-E-R-F-A, CBD. Use promo code late night with Chalky at checkout for 20% off surfacbd.com. Earthpack, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earthpack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. Earthpack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Our guest this week is our first DJ radio personality. He's been dominating the airwaves since the early 80s, getting his first gig on K-Rock, broadcasting reviews of his self-published inexpensive restaurant guidebook that he wrote, right? Let's talk about that. I did. He there became, they are, right there. <laughs> he became K-Rock's local surf reporter, along with our very own HB legend, Rockin' Fig, R.I.P. R.I.P. And co-host in the morning show with Richard Blade. Hi. He, I did not pull, man. How can you do that, pull, man? <laughs> he quickly became the station's most popular figure when he created Loveline, a Sunday night dating and relation, relationship segment. The success of Loveline catapulted him to celebrity status and he became syndicated and even had his televised on MTV, right? The show was on MTV. Well, I was fired before that, unfortunately. <laughs> ah! Throughout his amazing career. Were you really? <laughs> yes, I, I'm not lying. I was I was ripped off. Hey. Okay. Before, but you came up with Loveline? Yeah, okay, of course. Shut up. Sorry, well, you good. He is the only on-air talent in Los Angeles history to work at all three major music giants, K-Rock, Power 106, and Kiss. 
We and and all 97, ni all 98.7. We'll add that in there, too. <laughs> we welcome the one and only, needs no introduction, Jim the Poor Man Trenton. Well, thank you. Thank yes. you, guys. It's great to be on Late Night with Chalky. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Thanks for uh, letting me be on. Awesome. Dude, you're, you're really one of the pioneers of, of what we're doing here. It's just called podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think the, the thing that... I was lucky in, in getting into radio. I never wanted to be in radio, and I fell into it when I wrote those books when I was going to law school. Did you get a picture of those? Yeah. And so, uh, and so my style was, it, I just got on the radio, and for whatever reason, it, I was so relaxed. It was like taking a dump. It was just, you know, <laughs> easy for me to do radio. And so I, I graduated from law school, flunked the bar three times. And, but by the time I, I was taking the bar, I knew that radio was for me. And so I just think being natural and being yourself is a better way to do it. Uh, I hear people on the radio trying to force their personalities. Yeah, you're always works. better. And the less you think about what you're going to do, the better off you are. Okay. I try not to think. It's kind of how we roll. Yeah. <laughs> Outside my intro, I'm totally useless and just kind of contribute <laughs> as it goes. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, before we jump into that, wow, I can't believe you actually went to law, law school. school. Yes. Um, let's... Go back to the the past and tell us where where you found surfing. Well, I started on K Rock, and I mean, I'd surf when I was a little boy. My my dad took me to Hawaii when I was ten years old. Uh, my mom, my brother went. We're at Waikiki, and the first time I ever surfed, I got surfing lessons from Rabbit Kakai, who I know wow. you you know. Oh yeah, he's Rabbit. a legend over Dude, you know in sure. in Hawaii. Yeah, he's Hawaiian royalty. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And he was always talking about, you know, girls and picking up on girls. That's all I can remember. But he put me on like a 12-foot longboard that hit me in the head. Uh, but there were like 50 people on the waves at wow. Waikiki, right in front of the um, Royal Hawaiian. So I started there, didn't surf at all until I started on K-Rock, and I just came up with an idea. The poor man learns to surf, and we went down to what, HB. Excuse me to uh, interrupt, where did you grow up? Uh, Southern California. Okay. I'm, I'm a fourth generation California, maybe fifth generation. Wow. I, or my son's fifth generation, I think. Okay. So, yeah, all over Southern California. Not not on the beach. My dad, when I was 10 years old, also had a chance to buy a house on Lido Island. There was an old house with a crow's nest there. It was incredible. And it was for a hundred grand on Lido Island. And he almost bought it. And I'm yeah. thinking that would have been a totally change of lifestyle he didn't now that house is probably torn and rebuilt and worth 20 mil for yeah. sure easy for sure yeah i mean anything lido, by the water lido isle is just south of newport proper right yeah in the heart of, of newport it's probably about five minutes away here we're, yeah. we're around 32nd in balboa yeah five minutes walk lido island yeah yeah i mean any, anything by the water then and now is just gold yeah yeah, that, that's right. And by the way, you guys are in the shack doing yeah. this. You know? We are in the shack, literally at the beach. We're looking at your windows now, and I'm staring at the ocean, ocean. view. Yeah, that one house view. away in a 100-year-old house. So yeah. cool. Yeah. The this, shack. This Built on sand. They poured concrete in this house 30 years into it. They didn't have any concrete. All the houses were built on sand. We're in like a remote area of Newport. Uh, on one side, you know, we, we are... In Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Entrance is on an alley, but the one street on one side is only one way. It can't come in going yep. uh, south, but it can... It can uh, so you only can go north on the alley, and then the other side, the street only goes out to the to Balboa. You cannot go in. So this is a quiet street in Newport yeah. Beach, which is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. That's I a mean, funny. Yeah, and you don't. Need, now that I look at now that you say that, all the streets are pretty much one way. Is all it? access. Right? Yeah, they're all zooed. Yeah. and this house also, for some reason, does isn't squashed between. Other houses, like most houses at yeah. the beach. Yeah, you got tons of light and you know visibility. It's yeah. yeah. It's, and the it's next really place, nice. there's an easement. There's like an alley that comes in here, and the the city has a sewer right to use the alley, which half is owned by us and half by the guy next door. But we can't do anything with the alley. But that separates the house there, and then the guy next door, he had a shack. He tore it down for last year and a half. He's built it up, and they had to squash it ten feet less. But he built it up four stories, so yeah. Um, yeah, we got space on either side. Real fortunate. Yeah, you got really lucky. This is an amazing. Well, thanks for letting us do this in your shack. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. In the in the poor man studio. Yeah. yeah, in the poor studio with all the pictures. <laughs> so, so did you 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 grew up here fourth generation? And you, like, do you guys go to the beach? You guys? Oh yeah. You're young, like your dad surfed, brother. You no, have nobody surfed. We, I think I. Uh, actually caught waves on rafts back in the day when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. And, You've had uh, a couple of our guests, you know, older guests talk about that. Yeah, we, we yeah. rode rafts. You just got on your stomach and rode the waves on a raft. All good. And and then, you know, one one moment was surfing and, you know, when I was 10 and then not again until I was on K-Rock. Okay. Wow. What did you do as a youngster? Like sports or... Yeah, I mean, I you know I love sports. Would always like spectator sports. Played football, baseball, uh, not basketball. I was terrible at that. Um, I, I run every day. I've done that. I was on the tennis team 
in high school and in college. So I, wow. I played tennis pretty well. Ski real well. Went to Sun Valley, Idaho with my parents when I was 10 years old. Learned how to ski from the Austrian master. So I was always Athletic active. And, yeah. yeah. But but uh, always like spectator sports. You yeah. Know? yeah. My teams now, uh, let's see, Chargers, Kings, Clippers, and Angels. There you go. Yeah, it's good teams. Really good. What um so Chargers, right? Chargers. I love the Chargers. Yeah. I don't know why. Ever since, you know, back in the day as a kid? Like how did No, you... I, I mean when the when we had teams here, I yeah. guess it was the Rams, the first edition of the Rams. Yeah. Then they left, they went to um, back to St. Louis. To St. Louis. And then I lost then we didn't then we had the Raiders. I was never a Raiders fan only because I thought the Raiders weren't really LA. Yeah. Even though they had a huge following in LA. I felt yeah. they were, you know, really more Oakland. And I think Vegas is perfect for them. So I just I adapted the Chargers for some reason, maybe about ten years ago. Hmm. And I was a, a Dodger fan growing up. We grew up in LA and once the O'Malley's sold the Dodgers to Fox television. I felt they got corporate and they traded Piazza and that was it. And I suddenly started liking the Angels. Yeah, I mean, I mean that there, it always gets tricky when teams move and then you're battling of like, well, there could only be one LA team, but we've had two of almost yeah. everything forever, you know? Yeah, and I know you guys are all about surfing. Yeah. I'll tell you what I thought was the most monumental thing I've seen in years in surfing was Slater winning Pipeline this oh, year. Dude. Yeah. I mean, he, he rode it like a hot dog wave. He was just in those tubes. It was insane. So crazy. 50 years old. Charging. Yeah. Yeah, I was on the beach. That was... Yeah, you were there? I was there. Lucky enough oh, to man, there. that's incredible. Yeah, it was... I mean, I was just like at your house, but like right at pi like right in front. Was know? everybody rooting for Slater? You know, I think they were just... I mean, yeah, there's a big portion of the crowd. And there was a big portion rooting for the local boy. And... and the local boy was ripping too. And his name's Barry Mamiya. No, and he was well, Barry, but Seth, Seth, a little ha a little under half his age. Yeah, <laughs> Bar uh, Baron lost in the, the semis and Seth um, and uh, oh, Seth Moniz. Yeah, yeah, Seth Moniz was uh, in the final. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he's half his age too. Right, and he, but he's he's American, right? Well, I mean, even the Hawaiians, Hawaiians are American. Yeah. Yeah. Are they both Hawaiian? Yeah. Well. Bear Mamiya is Hawaiian, and yeah. so is Seth Moniz. There, there's, oh. there's such a hot, hot pocket of rippers over there right now, like th that are at that like the highest caliber of surfing, yeah. and they just, I mean, you just want to see good surfing and, and lots of waves ridden, and yeah. I think people are excited. But yeah, there's definitely people rooting for their, you know, and that kid Baron who Slater took out in the quarters or something like that. I don't know earlier, not the final. He actually won the next contest, the Sunset The Sunset contest. one, yeah. And yeah. Slater got all pissed off because of some <laughs> interference thing or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you watch the, the contest? I, wa I watched the pipe one. Yeah. You know, it's amazing with this, amazing that, um, <laughs> you know, you can go online now and it's the quality of the picture is just incredible yeah. versus the dial-up days of, you know, computers. Yeah. It's crazy how you can just type in what you want or even yeah. dictate what you want and it pops up just like that. Yeah. The information superhighway. So, yeah, how did you, you know, you, you, you said you went to college, right? Yeah, college and, so and law school. I got a doctorate, a, a Juris Doctorate. If you're a lawyer and you graduate from law school, uh, you get a, a, a doctorate in law. So, technically, I'm a, a doctor. 
Doctor Poor Man. Doctor, you're a doctor. Man. You're a doctor of words. Yeah, well, it was a Juris Doctorate, but unfortunately, I couldn't pass the bar exam. I mean, I could, I could definitely not pass a bar. Also, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, we, we, um, I mean, we've, I've known people that also went that route, and it took them, you know, quite, a, quite a while to, to pass. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's not a, an easy feat, and I mean, just to get your you know, law degree is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had passed it because I think if I had been an attorney, I would have been a great criminal defense attorney because I could talk in front of a crowd. You know, I, as you guys know, I've done a lot of gigs. I did two OP pros, did the announcing on the beach, you know, yeah. in front of 100,000 people when MTV was there. And um, I, I, um, I think I, I angered... Uh, the city of Huntington Beach very violently when the, the in the 86 OP Pro when I was the announcer because I was broadcasting live on K-Rock while announcing the contest and then at the same time MTV was there and then they had the riot and so a lot of, pe of the police in Huntington Beach were I was persona non grata in HB and then it traveled to Irvine police and even as recently as 2000 I was doing some announcing on the announce stand in Irvine Spectrum where I was, the club was, was scared that if they put me on the stage in front of a hundred people that I would create a riot at the Spectrum, you know? Wow. Was, I mean, and I didn't cause a riot at all. It was no, not my you're fault. Just, yeah, you were just there. Yeah, I was just there. But I had, I mean, I was pretty good as a surf announcer because I would get the crowd involved and... One year, I just was yelling for five straight days, lost my voice, and there was no one happier than the co-announcer because he knew we were having a heavy, heavyweight slugfest on the announce stand, <laughs> yeah. and that was D. David Morin, uh, you know, who I called the Vin Scully of surf announcing. When I lost my voice on the last day of my first OP Pro, he, could everybody thank the poor man for a wonderful job? And I was like, ah, ah, ah. And he knew I was gone for the final day, and he just basked in all his glory. That's funny. Oh, that is funny. I, I forgot he even was an announcer. Oh, he was good. He yeah. was he was a top-notch announcer. It was funny how they sometimes they pick, I don't know, just the wrong guy, and, and they would say the, the funniest, weirdest things that, they, analogies that, you know, you're like, dude, what does that even mean? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they... Surfing got, after the 86 OP Pro, I think that was a definite change in surfing. It got much more serious, and also they were much more concerned. That was the last year they ever had a bikini contest in, in a U.S. Open of surfing. Yeah. They never had had it since, and, you know, because it just, you know, got crazy, and there was, you know, a massive riot in HB as yeah. a result. So let's go back to what you were uh, kind of talking about before. You fell into radio. Fell into it, yeah. I was... Um, you know, doing, uh, you know, going through law school, and then I decided, I don't even know how, to write a book on dining for under $6 called The Poor Man's Guide. You could see there's two of them. They're, they're in my, the, the uh, studio here in the Poor Shack, and that was for Pasadena, and I think there's 40 restaurants in there. I remember one of my friends going to law school was, Jim, why don't you do it right? You forgot this, this, and this. Get all the restaurants in. Don't come out with it now, and I didn't listen to it myself, published it, and it made the LA Times critics list a year and a half later when my second book, 
under six dollar dining on the west side like beverly hills and everything so you start breaking it down into like smaller areas yeah i did two books published them myself and we made the la times critics list for those books so i was an author before i ever got on the radio and that's how i got the name poor man is uh, i was selling my book the pasadena guide across the street at a restaurant that was across from the old k-rock and uh, the program director of k-rock rick carroll was in the buffet line hearing me give my spiel to the restaurant owner. I was trying to get him to buy a book. They had just come out that day, and he asked for a free copy, a free copy. <laughs> and, you know, for some reason I gave it to him. I wasn't giving out books to anybody. I didn't even listen to K-Rog. It was just this long-haired, hippie-ish-looking guy yeah. whose name is Rick Carroll. He's probably the best program director who ever lived. I mean, just brilliant. And he, he came up with the whole Rock of the 80s format. So a year and a half later, when the... West Side Guy came out, and I got my write-up in the L.A. Times. We sold them like hotcakes, by the way. The first one sold 10000 I sold them out of my Chevy Monza. We drive the Monza around town, or Monza, like wherever. Like newspaper stands, like stores, like what uh, like like bookstores. Book they stores. put them on the front of the front counter of bookstores. So where? And what, I, I marketed it myself, sold it all myself. What gave you the idea to write a? a a poor man's guide to restaurants. It's just my brain has always been like fertilizer. It's I've always thought of promotions. I mean, honestly, I think the the thing that's made me stand out more than anything, the thing that I think I do better in radio than anybody, is just coming up with concepts out of nowhere. I can't even tell you how. Like Love Line is one. This book is one. Yeah. Now what I'm doing on the radio is one. I've just come up with lots of, you know, ideas in radio that haven't ever been done. So can you walk us through, okay, you create the, the guide. Is the guide just like names and and uh, prices or like is it is it, uh, it addresses uh, or? It's, it's hand typed. There are ratings on each of the restaurants that are under $6. Half the, the uh, menu has to be at least under $6. So La Fiesta Grande, we, we rated it one to five roses, like the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And that got a five rose rating. So, you know, they're under $6 restaurants. You had to be able to get a meal for under six bucks. And then we wrote a little, you know, the travels of the mythical poor man through all these eater, eating places. So did you And then there's a the poor places? man eats for free. You know what that so refers to? <laughs> Remember the good old days when you go into the bar from four to six in the afternoon? And they would have a, a buffet spread of free happy hour hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, Louis yeah. Inn, yeah. Yeah, or um, the Red O. Yeah. And uh, so that was all the places that gave you free food if you just bought one drink. So you kind of got, when you ate there, you kind of jotted down like a little diary, a little notes of that. that yeah, know, I just went in and just ate my way, you know, through Pasadena. <laughs> Self-published it. It came out December 7th of, I believe, 1979 or something like wow. that. And it was an immediate smash hit. It was the the poor man's guide sold for five ninety nine because the book had to be under six bucks yeah. also. And it was guess what audience bought it the most? Call you, celebrities, the, the high end people. The you, okay, the you say the high end people. Who do you say? College, college kids. You're closest. It was all the you know rich housewives in in uh, Pasadena looking for the hole in the wall restaurants. Mm -hmm. And it was also, um, yeah, I actually, who else bought it? I think that was the main thing. You know, middle-aged housewives loved it. 
And then college kids loved it too. The party yeah. crowd, you know, like that's yeah. going out and looking for a bite after. Yeah, you know. but it wasn't people that had no money necessarily. Yeah, it was the the, the yuppies. Uh, the yeah, up, yeah. I mean, professionals too, right? Yeah, like, I think Heather Locklear's mother actually <laughs> bought the book. Believe it or not, she was from La Cunada. <laughs> so. You met Rick Carroll in a line at a restaurant. In line at the restaurant across the street in the buffet line. Okay. He asked for a free copy of the book. And after my book made the LA Times critics list, by the way, it was the wife of Art Buckwald, one of the legendary restaurant, or one of the legendary book review people at the LA Times. His wife said, you got to review the poor man's guy because she was one of the middle-aged, you know, rich housewives that got it and loved it. And so... Then uh, I decided I needed some publicity, even though I was I sold out on all the books. Yeah. So I took the books to uh, back to Rick Carroll a year and a half later. I didn't even listen to K Rock. He remembered me, and he says, "Yeah, you know what we'll do is we'll have the uh, jocks read out of you know the book and talk about the restaurants." And I said, "Well, maybe you'd, it'd be much more legitimatized if you had me come on the air and do it because I wrote the book." And his reaction was, "Wow, man." I do. I don't know. You know, like because I had never been on the radio. Yeah. And one thing led to another. Six weeks later, I went on the radio with Ramondo, R.I.P. Ramondo, for a five-minute segment on restaurant reviews with the express proviso that I would get free meals for all the jocks at K Rock because everybody was broke at K Rock. That was when it was an underground station, and that was in '81 when uh, I started my career and um so he put me on the air and it was like i was a natural on the radio within three weeks we were have I, I created burrito day where we had the burrito toss it ended up a burrito war people were throwing burritos at each other a little league baseball team was there and there was a big war world best tasting burrito got written up in the past so kind of like a shock jock but like with some some base behind it like you know trying to promote you know doing promotions yeah. selling my own ads yeah, I was on Oprah also uh, for one of the... the uh, so wait, you got a job because of your book review? or your Yeah, because of, it started out, my books came out, but I got a job because I met him on the first day the book was out, and he yeah. remembered me. And he, a year I remember later, he, right? Huh? A year later is when... It was a year and a half later. Yeah. And I remember also, I've never told anybody this, so Rick Carroll, they had a thing called the... Called the called the uh you know k-rock stash cup or stash container and he said hey man here's a here's a k-rock stash container and he put a bud in it for me you know and everything it was a little black container man those things would be worth a fortune if we still had a few of those for sure and uh yeah so then he put me on the air just reviewing the restaurants because i i would get free meal certificates for the for the station and they loved it because you know, Rick himself would take these meal certificates, go to the restaurant, this hippie-ish-looking, long-haired genius, who people would look, who's this guy, wearing leather? And and so the whole, you know, everybody at K-Rock would be eating. You know, other people would get would get cocaine for the station, and uh, <laughs> mine was food. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got to get your bases covered, right? Yeah. <laughs> one alcohol, one Coke, one... But the Coke wouldn't make you hungry. I guess it was before the Coke. Well, maybe yeah. it would. Yeah. But that I is, mean, I mean, wow. you got to think like most radio stations are working around the clock, and then you're you know you're talking, and it's a it's a hustle. Like you're, there's no downtime. There, it's it's absolutely there's a business to what I've done. For some reason, 
that's the other thing. The only reason I think I have a job now, I mean, I was really, I was broke four years ago. Nobody would hire me after I, you know, brilliantly got myself fired in a humongous, you know, legendary style. Everybody else is pretty funny, but, you know, nobody would hire me. I got blackballed. And, and so I think the one reason I'm back now is I, I sell all my own sponsorships and, uh, you know. We're going to have you know, to ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, sponsors, yeah. So, so I've always been able to do that. For some reason, talking on the radio and and selling sponsorships has all been easy for yeah, me. Yeah, we could. We like could I mean, you're just talking to you guys. I'll tell you absolutely. I'm I'm going to hit you up for some clothing. You know, <laughs> and got, maybe we can work you. something. I, I it always is in my mind. Yeah, you know, we got the barter the barter system, the trade, yeah. and and, yeah. and it's all about who you know and connections. It's we yeah. got you covered. Great. Yeah, but um. So go I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but even if you didn't, I, you know, listen, I feel that doing interviews and things like this is a, a privilege. It's not a right, you know, and I, sure. I appreciate that. You oh, know, man. That you guys are interested. Oh. Now, and I, again, like Lennon said, I mean, there, there's not a, a day or anybody in Southern California that hasn't listened to your voice over the radio over yeah. all these years. Yeah. And I mean, you're iconic just in the in the radio and music world, but also in the surfing world. Like, yeah. Everybody knows the, the surf report and you know, your connection with Rock and Fig, and I mean, I totally forgot about the North Shore, like, gig, yeah. being the beach announcer there, I'm like, holy smokes, that's right. No, no, the wave pool announcer. Wave, oh, the wave pool, sorry, yeah, yeah. Rick Kane. <laughs> Rick yeah. Kane. Yeah. Yeah, Rick Kane was the winner, that was Matt Adler, who actually contacted me on Instagram about six months ago, I couldn't believe it, he goes, hey, poor man, it's Matt Adler, you know, <laughs> and, uh, What's that, his real name? Matt Adler, right? Matt Adler, yeah, he was Rick Kane yeah. in the We in actually North Shore. had Turtle on. Yeah, we, you we did. Oh, yeah. wow. John I, Philbin. I yeah. never met him. No. He, he's from the San Fernando Valley, isn't yeah. he? Uh, somewhere there. Yeah, yeah. He, he's living in Malibu. Do you see that picture with me and Weird Al? Speaking of San Fernando Valley, the lower one. Right here? No, the one next to it. Weird Al. That's, That's Adam Ant. Adam Ant, yeah. Holy crap. And Thomas Dolby uh, above them, the guy second from the oh, left. Right here. Yeah. And, and uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Tony Basil. Tony Basil, I remember her. Mickey, you feel, you know, the yeah. song Mickey. Yeah. yeah. So so and Todd Mastery, who used to be on KNAC, she died, unfortunately, on my right. Oh. Yeah. Um, so cool. So talk to us. Okay. You, you, you do really well doing your book review with um, Armando. Yeah, well, we did the five-minute thing, and it led into me, me doing promotions. I didn't get paid for the first three years, but I would just... You what? Know, no, I didn't get paid, but I loved it, and I would hustle up, you know, sponsors for different things I did. And So you know, what did you do for money? Hit up my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. Parents. And so and you're, and you're and out of college. Yeah. We've already supported Out of law there. school. Out of law school. Yeah, flunked the bar three times while I was starting K-Rock and just realized, you know, I didn't care if I ever practiced law because I just love radio. And I also got offered to be a public, to be the publisher of a book uh, company. You know, the, these guys wanted me to take over, uh, you know, a company that uh, put out books because wow. they, they were so impressed with, my, you know, how I marketed the poor man's guide. Yeah. And I just, uh, I decided I didn't want to do it. So you, you sold the books for five ninety nine. Yeah. So you made pretty good, because you said you sold over 10,000 copies. 10,000 right? of the Pasadena, I believe, 
seven or eight thousand of the West Side Guide, okay. but all of them are gone. That's why I had to go on online to get my own copies. Yeah, and a lot of them were signed. Like this one is signed that I just showed you. Yeah. yeah. So so after that, you're, what, what were you doing for work? Um, and, and well, I, I went. I graduated from law school. I got you know, and then I didn't pass the bar, and so <clears> I you know was was at K Rock. And just stayed there and just tried to hang in there. And my parents, you know, you know, they wanted me to take the bar. And they go, what are you doing at this radio station? How can yeah. you do this? And, the, you know, my parents were kind of always the glass is half empty kind of people, you know. Yeah. This is terrible. Until all of their friends started talking about how their kids were listening to me on the radio. And one of the kids for his 12-year-old birthday uh, the kids of the the parents that my parents were good friends with they were you know these rich parents he they hired me to host the the twelve year olds in a <laughs> birthday party no you know? way. and then my parents all of a sudden I started making a lot of money at k rock and they you know they they thought it was cool yeah until I got fired again and then you know you had a you had a good haul in radio Jim move on you should sell real estate. It was like, well, I, I mean, I'm good in radio. Well, you know, you have to be honest with yourself. It, you know, you got to move on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the early days of K-Rock, and, yeah. and you didn't make money for three years. So what What turned the tide of, of yeah, you? Yeah, I don't want to drop your, your computer here. Sorry about that. What uh, turned the tide of uh, you getting hired and, and making a salary? Um. After three years, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. They, um, I ended up getting my own air shift. I was doing features with the morning shows, Romano and the Blade. I one time had my own morning show for three days. It was Romano with a poor man, and unfortunately that didn't work out. They replaced me with Richard Blade, who had just started, and then I did features with that show. And around 19... God, 85, 86. So I've been there. Maybe it was before that, actually. They finally decided to give me a salary at K-Rock because I, I became like the number one jock of the station within three weeks of arriving there in the first place. I was doing yeah. things that the rest of the station had never done. My thing was more about the lifestyle in between the songs. I wasn't the guy with the music. I was, you know, like yeah. surfing and the outdoor lifestyle because nobody at K-Rock really did that and you know and I I've always been about that so yeah. I think that was um, what, what a combination what, of all of what it. were they like hey you're getting the graveyard shift first or more uh, like they the said my shift was three to six I'm going wow afternoon drive and it was three to six a.m. <laughs> yeah and and I was still doing my morning features so I called my first radio show primetime radio because just for the whole point of the fact it was anything but primetime yeah and we had the primetime gasoline hauler on there the primetime ma magician the uh primetime caterer you know everything but it was all tongue-in-cheek and it became a very popular three to six a.m show and we did an early morning wake-up call that I thought of. Where so that was your first time slot was 3 to 6? 3 to 6 a.m. And what did you call the show? Primetime Radio. Because <laughs> I so thought it was good. 3 to 6 in the afternoon. No, yeah. you'll do 3 to 6 a.m. And I did some horrible things. I mean, I was not very good running the controls. So, you know, one time I went to Lucky Boy, which is a burger place in Pasadena. And I had a burger, 
a big order of fries and a 32 ounce Coke or Pepsi. And, you know, I would have trouble finding the records and the carts. Carts are like the old eight track cassettes where you ran, you know, commercials and some songs. I was, you know, would always run out of a song. There'd be dead air. So I had my one standby cart. This is horrible. This is going to ruin me. It was wham, young guns go for it. And that was my standby. I ran out of time. So when I had that sitting on the, the console, three inches away from the control panel of the station, uh, my elbow hit the 32-ounce Pepsi, and it was like slow motion. The entire Pepsi poured into the console of the radio station and took us off the air at like 4 a.m. And um, poor Scott Mason, RIP him as well, had to come into the station and get in between my legs, like sit three inches from my groin underneath where we were broadcasting from. Because only one, uh, one microphone was left and one turntable. Everything else was wiped out. And he somehow soldered the whole radio station back together and cleaned the coke out of everything. I thought I'd be fired the next day. Yeah. I thought that was it, and it wasn't. You know, Scott Mason saved your ass. He saved my ass, yeah. <laughs> I did get fired one time for being on the telephone at K-Rock back then. Back then, K-Rock was crazy. I mean, the whole, the whole lot of us could have gotten arrested. There were yeah. drug deals going down in the corridors. There were... You know, all kinds of crazy things. Punk rockers passed out, and, you know. Because it was an alternative radio station, right? It truly was pirate radio inside K-Rock. Yeah. And, I mean, I did promotions that today wouldn't fly at all. Like, one of them was the uh, the the Red Onion, um, uh, I don't know, the Red Onion, uh, it was the Red Onion Taco Run. And in order to win in this contest that I came up with, there were eight teams, three three people on each team in a car. And their job was, in order to win, they had to collect eight tacos at five different red onions. So we judged them on the speed of how they could get eight tacos at five different locations and end up in Marina del Rey, which is the final destination with their 40 tacos. Wow. Then the next part of it, they all had to, whoever three-person team could eat the 40 tacos the fastest. So there were people going down the Manhattan Beach Boulevard on the sidewalk at 125 miles an hour for the speed part of it. And I mean, you know, we were reporting on it. Nobody would do that. I did the, I did something. I met the Mothers of Drunk Driving founder when I did the poor man's um, pub crawl in Pasadena where, you know, we, she's doing a beer bong. And I encourage people to get drunk as can be. And the Mothers Against Drunk Driving called in. Do you know that, you know, you, you're getting people drunk on this thing? And I was just doing radio, and I, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And she was absolutely right. Candy something or other was her name. So, you know, that's that's the things I was doing. And then eventually I got a paycheck, got that shift. And within six months, they gave me my, first, my own shift for the first time. And I kept flubbing up and... Uh, Dusty Street is a legendary K-Rock jock, you know, complained to Rick and said, you know, this guy is just terrible. He's so, you know, the songs run out and it, what are you doing, Rick? And he goes, he's on there because he's a good communicator. Yeah. And to this very day, if you listen to my show now, I always have songs running out or I, you know, accidentally, the, the song that was on previously will bleed into the next one. I'll have poor man mashups by accident. And, um, 
So. You're doing it your way, man. The, well, I'm doing it the, the only way I, I can. <laughs> <laughs> so, was K-Rock, like, starting to blow up? Because, I mean... I yes. Didn't, I didn't realize it was that, like, underground... Yeah. But it I, was. It, I mean, <clears throat> seriously... Because uh, New Wave started uh, becoming, in punk rock... It became mainstream after a while. Yeah, yeah, and you guys were at the forefront of that. Be before it ever, I mean, you know, like a lot of the bands you know of today, you know, like the Go-Go's were a punk band. Yeah. I mean, you had, you know, trying to think who else was just insane. That Oingo Boingo. And Oingo, yeah, they were it in a lot of times. Uh, and you had so many bands, I'm trying to think of other ones that started out as a punk band as punk bands yeah well social d obviously yeah but lots lots and lots of bands so like it, new wave was like the the k-rock kind of thing the right? thing the thing that was always rejected but now is finally being appreciated was punk rock yeah i always knew punk rock was the secret gem that never was exploited because now it's melodic which is is incredible because uh, they used to have me uh host punk rock gigs with, and I didn't know why I wasn't punk. I thought, God, man, this music is so harsh. And why are they hiring me? You know. <laughs> and you know, I, I could tell you stories of that for days. Yeah. So you're, you're starting to make your own way at K Rock, like getting better time slots and starting to make money. Um, and then you, you and Richard Blade get the morning show. At what point? No. Um, well, it was first Romando and the Blade, yeah. and then. He was replaced by me, and it became, you know, Richard, you know, uh, Richard Blade and the Poor Man, and we ended up doing it for three years, mornings. And I did also six to nine at night. I did a double shift, and my ratings were number one on both my air shifts. Yeah. And then I would, you know, get up early in the morning and and do the double shift, and eventually Oprah was doing the most outrageous DJs in America when the shock jocks were all blowing up, and so yeah. they had me as one of five people on Oprah, you know, doing the shock jock thing. So you're starting to meet all these new um, artists and punk rock stars, new wave stars, just pop stars. What was that like, you know? Because when you first started, it was kind of a small underground thing. And now, are you? did you guys start? No, but a lot of those stars were around in, during the underground thing. I mean, yeah. you're talking... The Pretenders, it, you know, th there was a place called Perkins Palace that did a lot that. of shows yeah. with a lot of big name bands. We had, I remember Wendy O. Williams and the Plasmatics, she came into the station with clothespins on her nipples and, uh, you know, but, but many, Oingo was playing there, I think Devo played there, I'm trying to think just all oh, the hot. Was the studio yeah. small? Chili Peppers Damn. started. I mean, you were I, around all of that. I was around all of that. So cool. I didn't honestly. It didn't really impress me because, it, I mean, it wasn't that I, you know, was not impressed, but it was just part of the lifestyle. So I met a lot of them. I mean, the Chili Peppers. I had to give Flea a ride to this video show I did because back in the late '80s, he couldn't even afford a car. I had to pick him up at his West Hollywood apartment and drive him down to Anaheim for request video. Wow. For for their first video that ever went national, Higher Ground, the Stevie Wonder <laughs> remake. Yeah, and I've I've seen Flea and Anthony in recent years at um, at the Laker games, and you would have thought that they they saw uh, you know the the COVID virus before it came around when they saw me. That you know once I was off the air, it's shocking 
how you're regarded differently by people you thought were your lifelong friends. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I think that's business. I mean, I, I hold no grudge yeah. at all. No. And I would love to interview them again. I think they were at their best in the early days, quite honestly, if you want yeah. to talk about the chili peppers when they were raw. And, For sure. You know, I interviewed them at the Vision Pro Skate Escape, which I'm sure you were aware of with Tony Hawk in yeah. it yeah. at Irvine uh, Events, uh, you know, or the Event Center, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, there's so many things flashing in my mind of different things that you did. But, but all those famous bands were around before they, they none of them were famous that whole alternative and, scene was was yeah. not no none of them had become famous yet yeah and 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 now like like you just mentioned that you know hey it wasn't a big deal this was just part of the job and these are bands and stuff yeah probably wasn't that overwhelming like cool factor like oh it's chili peppers yeah it's kind of an up-and-coming yeah. band yeah, i mean when but, you, but when, now you're looking at like the career they had and and how the huge impact they had you're probably like oh that was pretty cool back you too was another one wow you know they were when I, I interviewed The Edge at the US Festival in 83 and, you know, on, on a payphone, because that's all they had back then. And The Edge, he had no hat on, so he must have had hair in those days. And um, so, I mean, come on. You know? <laughs> Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're matching up here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, they were the fourth lead. The lead was Bowie at that US Festival with 100,000 people. And so I interviewed The Edge at that, but Bono, who had, you know, I didn't know that much about YouTube. Yeah. YouTube. YouTube. That was further <laughs> along. But uh, Bono climbed to the top of the US Festival stage, 400 feet above. He was leaning out over the crowd. He could have fallen to his death singing Bullet the Blue Sky. And I'm going, who are these guys? They're incredible. Yeah. And then they, obviously they went from there. Yeah. Gosh, so, you saw these people at their, their, their start. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know? in excess, we're, we're, you know, in the How back door of the station oh. when I was doing a promotion, uh, you know, where I was, we faked on the air, me getting angry and leaving the station. Me and Rock and Fig did that one, actually. He came with me to Mexico. We hid out in Mexico for a week. I got all pissed. You guys treat me bad. You know, you're hanging up on me when I'm doing this surf report and all this other stuff. So I was, was you know, I stage. had to make it real. It was stage. Yeah. I was, you know, got mad, stalked out of the studio. And, and this back door of K-Rock, the second floor, was a big metal door. And I flung it open to signal I was furious. And the whole NXS band was on this small stand on the second floor. I almost knocked them all to their deaths <laughs> while they were waiting to come in and get interviewed. And they're like, oh, what are we coming into? They think that's a big commotion. They were shocked, for sure. So, so that was, I mean, that's what you guys did, huh? You're just winging it, playing, you know? Yeah, I mean, we had Tears for Fears, you know, we... We had, uh, I mean, the Go-Go's, back when I first started in 81, Rodney had them come in on a Saturday night. and Rodney I just, on the Rock. Yeah. Yeah. And their, their Go-Go's first album came out. We got the beat and yeah. whatever other songs were on that. And they were in the studio, all five members of the Go-Go's or four or whatever. And Rodney wouldn't let me in the building. But they, you know, they were small at that point, too. You know, and then Duran Duran is another one. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, that's our era of music, and like every one of these oh. bands you listen to, I mean, to be a fly on the wall or to be in your position and yeah, know... Yeah, you were like, right in the... You were right the heart of it. But but it goes back to what you guys... You guys say I'm a legend. Listen, I wish everybody I owed money to would have your viewpoint, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I yeah. don't wake up in the morning and go, 
I'm a legend. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. You can no. tell by knowing me. I mean, do yeah. I seem like I am legendary in my approach? No, I just think like the, you know, we're referencing like you know the amazing career you had and like the longevity you had. Yeah. And, you know, like I think it's just the whole like package. You know, of, I, like, I, I think I think what I'm doing now with small radio stations is going to rival anything I've ever done. That's cool. I've got five stations now. There's all these tiny community radio stations that regular radio thinks are worthless because they only encompass a few cities. Yeah. And they have a need for programming. They're trying to be creative. And the owners of those stations are as passionate as the owners of a megalopolis. It's servicing yeah. your, your local community and like yeah. getting you know getting plugs for those local businesses and, and you know what's, also putting out yeah. good content. What's your programming? Is it is it old school music like you would you, no my my programming is is pretty you know um, pretty like you know um, I would say um, creative and um, something nobody else is doing. It's all instant requests from oh, the wow. listening audience. Any genre of music, any era of music. I've done it now for two years. Just keep the lyrics clean. That's the one thing I say when I say that. I go, Google the late, great George Carlin. He'll give you the seven words that cannot be in the lyrics of the songs. Because, you know, <laughs> if you have fucks and shits and... yeah. You know, things like that in there. Yeah, you it's going to turn on advertising yeah. and, and, like, you know, your local... Oh, yeah. for the advertising? Well, yeah, but what happens is we have so many people calling in, and it's my job to put them on the air on the fly. And it, like I said, any genre in any era. I had a song from the 40s today. My oldest listener is 90 years old. Wow. Is, the guy's name is Spike Jones. I, I heard that Dr. Demento had played him or something. So you would have Spike Jones followed by Megadeth. You know, I mean, that's what you'll hear on my show. Yeah. And it'll be a mixture of all styles and all eras. You know, we'll go from 2021 to the 40s every single day based on a theme. Today's theme was the number two. You know why it was the number two? Why? Because a guy called in on the show today, gave his instant request. before The first hour, we just do open instant request, no theme. Then we have a theme for the last three hours of the show. And he, he gave his request. He said, I just want to make sure I got it in before I took a number two. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> So we, of course, glorified that, you know, yeah. and, and a guy taking a, taking a dump, yeah. you know, I should have had sound effects, yeah. you're right, I yeah. did not. You, you gotta get your, uh, whatever, I know. soundboard. Soundboard, yeah. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. you guys hit it, yeah. Bring back the old school soundboard and just yeah. have all huh? the... Have the props. Yeah. And the old school what? That, like all, yeah, all the soundboard with all the little different yeah, like, noises. Yeah, you're right. I have not done... Getting the songs and throwing them on the air... There's a lot of work. On, you know, on the fly, you yeah. know, is... I, I just grab YouTube or Spotify. So that is... It's a mix of everything, and each day is different. It just depends on the theme. Yeah. The day the day before, it was gas because of the high price of gas. So what I do... This is the way... You pick your song. It can be either in the name of the artist, it could be in the title of the song, the theme could be mentioned in the lyrics, or there could be a nexus, a relationship between the song you choose and the music theme of the day. And people, they're into it like, you know, playing a game. Every day they're trying to figure out what song can I choose. Yeah. So we have punk rock. We'll have, you know, today I, I played Tupac and Snoop Dogg. They have a uh, Tupac is two, the number two, and Pac, since, you know, yeah. so, and Snoop Dogg, Two Legends is the name of the song, something like wow. that. Wow. So, 
So how do people call? Did they call in, email, text? They like call in on the old school landline. Then okay. they they text my poor phone, yeah. the same number that you guys text me on, yeah. cool. 949-870-6155. It's the only cell phone I have. I share it with my fiance, my parents, everybody. Yeah. And then that, they'll get in touch with me that way on the on the, the old school phone line or on social media. Yeah. So they come from all over the place. Okay, that's cool. I mean, you know, you, I just have tons of texts on here yeah. right now, every day. So going back to K-Rock days, um, you started doing different events like the OP Pro and... Yeah, they had me, they, they contacted me to host all kinds of clubs and, you know, dance parties and... I mean, I'm really good doing live stuff, too. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I'm very comfortable in front of, you know, 100,000 people. I can get the whole crowd roaring every yeah. time. And, I mean, I could be talking to you guys like I am now and then go on the stage and, you know, just get the crowd going. So yeah. that so I, I did a lot of club gigs and, you know, bigger venues. Yeah. How, how did you get connected with the... With Huntington Beach and the OP Pro and all that? Um, well, I started out, the poor man learns to surf... And then it was such a big thing, like Dick Dale and Robert August were doing a play-by-play -play of me out on north side of Huntington, you know, looking like an idiot, not catching one wave, you know. And, yeah. uh, so wait, they did a play-by-play? -play they did a play-by-play -play on a tape recorder. You're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding. I wish I knew where that was. And it, you played it on the... No, I never played it. They just did it for themselves. Oh, what? That was back when surfing was really in a depressed state, you yeah. know, and... Uh, Robert August had done Endless Summer, but at that point in the early 80s, surfing had kind of gone into a recession, so to speak, and Dick yeah. Dale's career would be resuscitated during, um, what's the movie? Endless Summer 2? No, or? Dick Dale. Um, the, um, the John Travolta, Quentin Tarantino. Um, oh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, Pulp. yeah, when he had Miserloo as yeah. the, the theme song. But he, they, they, they weren't doing much, and so they did a play-by-play, -play, and that led... And I did this with Chuck Dent's Surf Shop. Somehow I got to them. Yeah. And Rock and Fig was working there. And David Nueva was yeah. my point man, legendary surfer David Nueva. Yeah, we guys should him too. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's great. We did. Like, he's about a year ago. Yeah. He's he's the man. Yeah. He's uh, the OG. He's my, my, you know, he got me. I said, David, could you, you know, after this event, can you, we should do a surf report, you know, because I was just doing features. And I said, uh, would you do it? And he said, you know what, I just really don't have the time, but a guy I work with, Rock and Fig, you should have him. He's like, you know, one of the top world amateur surfers in I, the world. I think Dueva told us about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. He directed me to Fig, and then it started out, Fig would do one day a week, and then PT would do another one of the days of the week. Wow. And PT was broke then, too. He was so angry. One time he went to my house to do the surf report from my phone. There were only phones then, and he... He parked when it was street sweeping day, and he got a ticket. And he was so angry because he had no money, and he got a ticket. So, that, so that's how it started with with Fig, and then uh, and PT, and then Fig. Obviously, you know, eventually took over the whole surf report when I yeah. started getting shows, yeah. and you know, rose to legendary status in Huntington Beach. Yeah, and he's the voice of. of Professional and amateur surfing. Yeah, he's done yeah. minutes to say yeah. for I mean forever, and then yeah, and then doing all the major tour events that come through Huntington. Oh yeah, yeah. And the nicest guy. He never said a horrible word about anybody. Oh. No, he is genuinely uh, a surf super grom. Like, yeah, 
Like, oh, he's, he he was a great surfer most of his a life. Great surfer. Yeah. I mean, whatever age group he was in, he would yeah. win the contest. Yeah. And I know he had, I, I found out later, he had heart problems for like the last 10 years of his yeah. life, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I heard he didn't eat right, but I don't know this. I just heard that, you know, he yeah. probably could have taken better care of himself, you know. Yeah. I mean, when you get older, man, you know. It gets tougher and tougher. Yeah. yeah. Can't, can't reverse all those years of bad, you know, or, you know, decisions yeah. that aren't helping. I mean, you have to change your lifestyle radically. Like, my voice, for instance, I mean, it's fine now, but... I've lost my voice a bunch of times because I'm, you know, I have a pretty high-powered approach, and so I've had to change my diet, you know, and and, and you know, it's crazy. Yeah. But um, yeah, you hear about I like, want all those like high-profile like opera singers or whatever they. Do. Oh, they have to. Oh, they they, they, they all go to ear, nose, and throat people. They, yeah. They, yeah. So, I mean, I figure you talk so much, it's got to be. Oh, it's stressful. insane. Yeah. What's know? crazy though is what you guys did, um, the surf reports evolved into 976 surf you know which was and a then, no you know what i'll tell you the surf line started out fig was a friend with sean collins who okay. started surf line he's dead now too yeah and uh and that thing just grew from an embryo yeah. and now it's the biggest thing in surfing yeah it's surf called line. it's surf yeah line, right but now everybody does their own little webcams you know and things too i mean the yeah. thing has evolved i mean back when we did the surf report at the beginning I developed uh, a system where I would call the lifeguards from Malibu all the way down to Newport. And, and every day I would call them up for the surf yeah. from the lifeguards at the lifeguard towers. Yeah. That was the only way you could do it. Yeah. One time I got fired from K-Rock. The general manager in the early years didn't want us using the phones. And uh, <laughs> so I had to use the pay phone to get this. It was ridiculous. So I would hide in the promotion director's office and use the phone. And I was calling up secretly in the door slowly opened i felt a cold chill and there he was going yeah out of here you know seeing me use the phone well that's that's you know i, I could see that happening because if you call the different area code when we were kids that you're getting surcharges you're getting upcharged yeah, if yeah. you're calling outside your area but code. you're doing like but work. i was doing it for the show yeah. you know so i ended up going i ended up well, I ended up going back in the office of the general manager, <clears throat> pleading for my job, and said, I'll never do it again, I promise. So I'd be on the payphone in the hallway doing it from then on. That is and, hilarious. But, so yep. the next thing that I want to ask about is, is North Shore. Like, how did you get connected in, in uh, getting a part in that? The director, uh, Michael Phelps, his, his sister, oh my God, what was her last name? She was a Olympic swimmer, very famous, who just recently retired in her 40s. Wow. You know who I'm talking about? Um, not Michael Phelps. Michael, um, he had a, a Latino last name. Michael, um, God, what is her name? I'm going to look on my computer. Famous female swimmer. All right, oh my bear God. with me here. Yeah, we like this. We're, yeah. th we're going to fact check this right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, let me see here. Just give me a second, guys. I will find this for you. So he was a director, and his sister was a famous... Famous Olympic, Olympic swimmer. Olympic... And... Um, swimmer. Won gold medal at age 40. Wow. That's incredible. 
All right, let's see if I can find out. This this should do it, I think. Dara Torres, Michael Torres. Michael Torres. Have you heard of Dara Torres? She won all kinds of gold yeah. medals in swimming in the Olympics. Yeah, Michael Torres was the, I believe, the producer of North Shore, and he had heard me do the surf report, so he asked if I would be the the announcer at the wave pool in North Shore. And you know that that movie is a cult. Oh yeah. Uh, that it's movie, one of my favorite movies. Well, ever. I, I mine too, not because I'm in it, but it's it's a great movie, and it had so many legends in that so movie. Yeah, so so doing this movie, like you know, again, like you know, nothing's like roughing your feathers on coolness. You're seeing you too, you're seeing all the best bands, but what about when you're meeting all those surfers, you know, and like on the movie set, like how'd that go down? I didn't meet them on the movie set. I was at the wave pool. <laughs> I was. He didn't go to North Shore. Oh, was, did, I th yeah, I thought you did both. No, just the wave no, pool. No, just the wave pool. They had, I think, when they were at the pipeline event, they had um, uh, what's his name, the the white haired guy with the yeah who Corky. No, but he's he wasn't. Um, Jimmy Bleers. Yes. Yeah, Laura oh, Laura Chang Bleers, the guy. Yeah. Jimmy Bleers. An old man, but he was he was a legendary yeah. Hawaiian announcer. That yeah. guy, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen. That I think he I think he was yeah. there uh, for that. No, I was just at the wave pool yeah. with the actor Rick Kane, who was uh, Matt Adler. Bro, that's what I'm gonna when I when I post about interviewing you. That's what we're gonna launch the podcast with. Well, let me tell you too, Fig, uh, his line. Uh, I stole it for North Shore. He knows it. Hey, when I gave him his five hundred dollar victory check on the uh, you know on the what the announce stand, I go, what are you, what are you gonna do um, with you know with your five hundred dollar check? I'm gonna go and surf the big waves of Hawaii. Yeah. And I, and then my <laughs> line was, that'll buy you a few tacos. <laughs> and that's what Fig's line was. I think he's used it for many times over the years, oh, but he was God. the one who. Uh, <laughs> Who said that, you know? <laughs> that will buy you a few tacos. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you got that line from Fig? Yeah, from Fig. He used to always say it, you know? And, hey, poor man! You know? Yeah. Uh, that is hilarious. I can't... I, yeah. But did, did you know when you got called up and, you know, hey, here's your part, you're going to announce, you know, your, your announcer at this wave pool, what was your thought on that movie? Like... I didn't think too much, other than there was a girl there was really cute. But, uh, <laughs> but I, back then, I you know people would confuse me to be Ron Jeremy's brother. Back my lifestyle was not like Ron Jeremy, okay? But I was like forty pounds heavier. I'm trying to see if there's a poor man photo here. That, I, I pulled uh, some up, and I actually had that. I'm like, did you did you ever get called? You know, yeah, I had a, a mustache, and yeah, they thought I was Ron Jeremy's brother. I was a big guy. Back then, and um, were you a big guy through high school and, and college, or no? I think just after college, and then into the K Rock thing, because yeah. I'd eat three squares meals a day, and and you know, be getting stoned and get the munchies and you know everything else, and also desserts and not exercising. There's got to be a picture of me as the giant poor man. Oh yeah, there's one right there. Turn around, right behind you. Uh, this this one, Chaco. Yeah. Chalky. Chalky. Yeah. Chalky. Yeah, what a trip. Yeah. Because here you are. Yeah, that's that's, that's later. Is but that the, later? Yeah, the one on the left, though, with a mustache. Yeah. I think it was that rapist-looking mustache you got over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you look you so... Yeah, I don't, look how different he fucking looks. Yeah. 
You know, like I well, I was young. <laughs> no, but you look to me. You look way better and younger you, you, now. Yeah. You yeah. Know what I mean, you probably were running eight to ten miles a day back then. No, and I, I <laughs> probably imbibed more drugs than I would like to admit. But uh, didn't ever do heroin though. Thank God. Yeah. And I didn't like coke. You know, a lot of people couldn't get away from it. But yeah, so my lifestyle. You know, I mean, I have to train like an athlete to keep doing this. I mean, it's not yeah. like you know. I mean, and sometimes, you know, I, I go, I mean, I did a gig two weeks ago at Wingnuts in, in Costa Mesa, this awesome. wing place that sponsors me, and we drew, drew 400 people, and I was doing a live remote, it was loud, I was screaming to get the crowd roaring, they were roaring and chugging beers, and, you know, I have a, a clip of me chugging like 28 ounce beer in like three seconds. So you're then, still drinking beer? Yeah, well, okay, I was until then. Yeah, he and, did. Uh, yeah, but Ron, Ron yeah, oh yeah, that's the one, right. I'm like, yeah. holy smoke. Yeah. Man, you gotta text me that photo. Yeah, oh. I probably had gotten stoned right before that interview. Who knows? <laughs> that's all over the, you know, uh, internet. Yeah. Love it. But so, anyway, where were we? So you didn't think too much of that movie? Of no, 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 it wasn't I didn't think of it. I just never thought of the consequences. Yeah. I was more interested in this, this girl that was really cute. You know, she came back to my apartment, but, you know, I was pretty hefty then, and we made out. That was about it. But uh, <laughs> that night, and we I, they put me up in Palm Springs. That's where we shot. We shot it at a wave pool in Palm yeah. Springs. Hey, I surfed that thing. Really? Yeah. The Palm Springs Surf Club is going to turn that thing into a real wave pool. They should. It's not there anymore? It's still there. They're uh, refurbishing they're, it. They're redoing yeah. the whole they're gonna yeah. make it. pool. They should. That's the hottest thing. Yeah. yeah. Because but the Palm Springs Surf Club, which is a friend of ours, yeah. the group that's doing it, we actually in, uh, interviewed Shane Magnuson is, is the guy's name. And, um, yeah, they took over that scene. Kalani Rob. Pool. There's a group of yes. group of guys that have yeah. you know, raised money, and they're putting in a <clears throat> state-of-the-art, modern, freaking kick-ass pool. wave pool. What a great idea. Yeah, and, and keeping the theme of everything else, so it's more of a... A party, at family atmosphere. They could use it as events. Bro, we gotta have you kick that place off. When is it opening? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Bring me back. Late for night that. and Chalky presents. Late night with Chalky, dude. Not and Chalky, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Late night with, with Chalky presents the poor man. <laughs> I, I'm there. I'm, I'll do it. That oh would be fun. Oh my gosh, dude. that would be so fun. It would be insane. I bet you he started it. I think it started that year of North Shore. I think that's when they first opened it. Really? They, maybe they had a deal with with um, Universal to do that to you know. Yeah, to help promote it. Maybe maybe the Waypool gave gave the movie some money. What? But yeah, but you know what? See, yeah. I didn't know who was in the movie. The only person I knew was Matt Adler getting his five hundred dollar check. That was it. I yeah. didn't know anything else because I was at a pool in Palm Springs. You yeah. just had that one film day, like that just one a film segment. day. Yeah. yeah, and that was it. And. Uh, you know, I, I love that movie, too. I mean, you know, I was as surprised as you, Matt. You know, Laird Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Lopez. Gar Jerry Lopez, yeah. yeah. So and many crazy, Aki. authentic... Aki. Yeah. Aki. Ronnie he was Page. in it. You're right. So his nickname, Chalky, he's the... Chocolate Aki. Chocolate uh, <laughs> He's a goofy footer, so just, wow. you know... Well, I wouldn't say just like him. No. Like, you know, tries to. Tries but, to. Yeah. But, but, yeah, like, that movie... For a couple of generations, has you know, 
it's a cult classic. It it really is. And it's funny, like I've met uh, like snowboarders, inland people that know every fucking word of the movie because they yeah. love it and watched it and you know memorized. You know, par- they have North Shore movie parties. I still get residual checks from it. Yes, they're for like seventy eight cents. You know? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think I think John Philbin Turtle. Uh, Guess the show, same? Yeah. His are bigger. I mean, he got a, a pretty good speaking role. He, he's done a lot of movies, and he actually has one in his, his wallet. Like, or something yeah, like that. He yeah. pulled it out. It was like, yeah, it was pennies. Yeah. Was right. Pennies. He's yeah. all, it cost some more to mail this out to me. It's worth these on. I know. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, for you to, to have such a, a crazy role in music and, like, new wave, punk rock... Like, that was Southern California, you know? Like, that generation was... The music and the the surf industry was starting to, like, blow up, you know? Like, Quicksilver yeah. and Billabong, those brands were starting to come on, and you were the the music to that, the backdrop to it. You yeah. Know? Let, me, let me give you guys the first insight. Today, it's the Little Guy Express, Express bus is on its way. Uh... With these little radio stations, it's it's going to recreate and reinvent radio because of the fact of, of what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not pitching myself as being some guru because it happened organically. Yeah, on the show I'm on now, and it's still small, but I have five stations now that all air my morning show with this format. And so you, we, these five different stations. Do they broadcast at the same time? And, and No, they, they are not simulcasting it, probably because it's a budget thing. To do a simulcast, you have to get Comrexes and special equipment to do that. So what they're doing is they're getting it a day later. Mm. And actually, we just started doing that in the last couple of days. We, we I had to work things out with a lot of owners. And so now I'm doing one show, but before that which really hurt my voice I was doing three morning shows a day I would do the one live on KOCI which I started with April 1st of 2019 I'm almost three years into that what's and the number of it KOCI? 101.5 FM okay. it airs in you know just a few cities in Orange County but they're affluent cities Newport Costa Mesa Irvine Huntington uh, Corona Del Mar places like that but you can also get it, you know, with the live stream, which is great. Like what you guys are doing at kociradio.com or my own website, poorman.net. So, uh, but now three others have just started to take that formula. What I had to do with them is one station I had to do 16 breaks a day, five days a week for Phoenix, Arizona. And then for my station at the river, like Lake Havasu, Laughlin, Nevada, I do nine breaks a day. I still do them on tape. The other three, uh, including my new one I just got a couple of weeks ago, I just started Radio Suerte. It's a the first bilingual radio station. It's a low-power radio station here in this same area as KOCI. The only difference is one is for people speaking English and the other one is for it's geared towards bilingual Latinos. They do English shows and Spanish, and they wanted my morning show also. So, awesome. Yeah, so now four shows are simulcasting this, 
and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. But I think the opportunity is there to get a lot more of these stations. So do you record at one station? And yeah, I do the, the live show at 17th and Irvine, right next to where the LaCave is. It's called the Newport Office Tower. Okay. I do it from KOCI every day. My show's 6 to 11, but I roll in there around 6.30, 6.45. It's too early. You know, so I'm late for my own show by 30, 40 minutes every day. You know, they just play music, you know. Until, yeah, uh, it's a way to be your own boss. So, so are you, you're doing like skits and, and music? No, it's, I just work off of people being on the air every okay. day. Like requesting, you know, it's all instant requests. So I put people on the air. So all these people that call in, they, they feel like they're mini music directors because, you know, the public is picking out the songs, yeah. not some glorified one-brain program director. One brain, I explained it today on the air, what do you think would be a better approach? One brain picking out all your music, one human, the program director, or thousands of people that are listening are picking out the music. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. the so, group mentality, because everybody can access all music now. And it gives people a little bit more connection to the show. Like, oh, yeah, they played my song. And, you know, it's a, it's a great marketing tool to, like, spread yeah, the it, word. It really works. And yeah. people call in every day. And if they don't get their song on, they get They're going to go back. They get butthurt yeah. if they don't get the song yeah. on. Sorry, you missed the cutoff. Like, yeah. got to call early. You got to call more often. Yeah. So that's an early time slot, right? It's morning drive. Yeah. So yeah. are you getting a lot of interaction? And, and A lot. That's awesome. I get tons of calls. I come on and there's, you know... 10, 20 calls in a row. I mean, I don't take that many, but, you know, it, it just rings like crazy. Yeah. And then when I do my theme, and then I do a thing called the World Premiere Song of the Day, where I play something that's never been played on on, on old school AM, FM radio. So I play a new song. Today I played the new Chili Peppers song that is pretty insane. And then what happens afterwards is the listeners review it. I call them the, the critics crew. And we have our, our female, our, our Simon Bowel of Poor Man's Morning Rush, not Cal, Bowel. Yeah. And the, the female Simon Bowel. And they give their reviews. A comedian over here. Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> no, it's all organic. I know, but it's just like, it's, 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 it's perfect for what you're doing. It's, it's a formula, but yeah. nobody, nobody in their right mind would think listeners picking out the music yeah. is the right way. And it's any genre of music, any era of music. As long as it fits whatever theme we have, yeah. or in the first hour, no theme. In the first hour, we call them the cricket crew, because only the crickets are up. And now the cricket crew really has an identity, and a lot of people are becoming famous that call in all the time. Yeah. And my sponsors do the features, so my sponsors are becoming famous too. Like Chuck Popick, he has a company, CPC Consultants. He d he's the sponsor of the Surf Report, and he does the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, or Stump Chuck. Stump Chuck, they ask him any question about shipping because he has a shipping consultation company. And then the good, bad, and the ugly, he picks a good restaurant, a bad restaurant, or an ugly restaurant, one that's had a code violation. And we do that every other week with Stump Chuck. So he's become a celebrity. Noah Burford is like the modern-day Billy Mays. He does Lola24.com. He talks about tax Lola, mortgage Lola, and crypto Lola. So he goes on there, and we do two segments of finance three That's days awesome. a week. Wow. And then there's Christiana. We have Tangier's Barbershop. We've got a dentist, Dr. Kate, in Newport Beach who's become famous. Everybody goes to her now. And so all the, all the sponsors, uh, they're now celebs. And so we just did that because...
quite honestly, I felt the only way I could probably keep him as sponsors is to put him on the air and make him celebrities. Make him famous? Yeah. yeah. And they it actually works, which yeah. is just ridiculous. That's yeah. fun. And nobody's awesome. done that are, are some better than others? Obviously, like you got people like yourselves so who I could just you know, wing it and, and, and create good content. Or are you helping them write stuff? Or I'm kind of like the ultimate assist man. Yeah. You know, I sort of have to tie it all together somehow. So, But it all works. Yeah. And, and, you got to put your touch on it. Pardon me? Put your little touch on it. Yeah. And, yeah, make them, you know. Yeah, just, you know, cruise them along, and eventually they develop their own rhythm. Yeah, cool. but, uh, yeah, so, you know, the songs will always be different. And then all the different uh, callers, you know, a lot of people know them, you know. Like, yeah. It's, are you finding out, like, most of the audience you have are prior... K rock fans too, or? not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Now there are a lot, but there are people that had never heard me before. Also, that just yeah. love the format. Yeah. So, so going back, I know we're kind of jumping back and forth. Yeah. Okay. So K rock though, how long, how long was your tenure there? Uh, twelve years. Okay. And and when when did Loveline come? Like at what um, yeah, what year? And I created Loveline in nineteen eighty two, I believe, and then we realized very quickly. When people were calling with their love problems and doctor, doc, you know, poor man, I have this weird ooze between my legs. I couldn't keep saying, take an aspirin. You know? <laughs> and so somehow we found Dr. Drew. Yeah. My Who, friend introduced me at a party to Dr. Drew. Who's While a I, real doctor? He, he yeah. was, no, he wasn't quite yet a doctor, but he went on air, you know, saying he was a doctor, but he was almost a doctor. Yeah. Um, He's going to medical school. He was going to med school, you know. Well, actually, he was done with med school. He's doing his residency okay. at, at Huntington Hospital. And so we we actually, he, I met him at a friend's party. Well, I was, the party was going on, and I was taking a shower. So the first time, he brings him into the bathroom, and I'm naked in the shower meeting Dr. Drew. And we brought him on to do a feature, just not even with Loveline, called Ask a Surgeon. Well, I have this weird... You know, you know, like What's growth on my head. What it, would that be? And and it came went from ask a surgeon to having him be the doctor on Loveline, and it just worked right out of the gate. Yeah. Loveline was was a hit from the word go. The minute it was start out, me and Swedish Eagle, I just came up with this idea to do the show. We had all our own love problems. We'd always talk about. So we say, if you have a love problem, you know, get some advice from us. Yeah. And the phones went crazy at midnight on a Sunday night from the minute we first did it. And they always blazed, always, like, ridiculously. Yeah. It was a big hit. And it was entertaining and it was funny. And, yeah, most often you're going to learn something. Right. And it's always funny unless it's yours, you know, <laughs> the, the problem. <laughs> what other shows did you come up with? Because, I mean, like programming is is tough to do and coming up with cool ideas is tough to do and loveline was yeah that was i thought in radio i could never get beyond loveline i kept trying to recreate it for 20 years just couldn't do it for whatever reason got another got a morning show to try to do it just didn't work the same after drew and i were together for you know i think i did loveline for 10 years we That's were together so like eight eight of the years i yeah. brought him on and um I think Poor Man's Bikini Beach was like a little minor hit. Yeah. Uh, what was that all about? Girls in bikinis just doing everything. I, I put that on like public uh, Access television. To TV? Yeah, I did that. That made me a good living. Was it the same channel that uh, 
George? Wally George? <laughs> it was, for yeah. a while, yeah. And then I had Adventures with the Poor Man was on there. I'm trying to think of big hit shows. I think the one I'm doing now is is next. Nice. I mean, this one I equate to Loveline, but it's bigger in the sense that it's a morning show. Because Loveline was late at night, yeah. which was good, but there's more radio audience in the morning. Morning yeah. Drive is the glory spot. Yeah. But I think with my format now, this is going to be the next massive one. Yeah. So, um, what what led to you leaving K Rock? Oh, I got fired. Ninety three. For what? Ninety three. Um, well, things were getting tense anyway because Loveline went five days a week in ninety two on Valentine's Day, and I was doing six to nine at night, and then I would have gigs where I go to clubs afterwards and make anywhere from 250 to 750 dollars drink a couple of beers meet some meet some women and uh, you know they pay me that just to come out after I get off the air and I I pretty much was booked seven days a week doing club gigs or events or whatever it might be so I was making two to four grand a week in extra money then they took me off six to nine saying we're gonna put love light on five days a week and I said well you know I'm gonna have to cancel all my gigs can you make up that money and they go no, we can't. But you know what? If you decide not to go, well, maybe we'll just have Doug the Slug host Loveline. And I go, you can't do that. That's my baby. I mean, I created it. So I decided, I said, okay, well, if I do Loveline and it does okay, they didn't know how it would do a talk show on an all-music station. And, and I said, if it does okay, will you take care of me with this lost gig income? And they said, yes. They said it could last a week, a month, two months, or we'll see. And immediately it was a hit five days a week. It had such huge ratings. It had the same ratings as a morning show, wow. even though there were only a third as many radios on. And they never took care of me, unfortunately. And I got so angry that I did some wild things, uh, you know, to, to piss them off. And the, the, one, the final straw was on my birthday. Kevin and Bean broke into my house on the morning of my birthday in 1993 with Michael the Maintenance Man. I woke up with him in my bedroom now, I don't mind somebody breaking into my house with some beautiful woman, but to see this dude wake me up. So I went along with it. I said, okay, mofo, this is my head. The master is going to show you how to do a prank the right way. So I got in the air on Loveline that night and had my producer look up the address. I said, you know what, you guys, it is my birthday, and we're going to have my birthday party at a celebrity's home. And this celebrity is just thrilled to have you guys caravan with me from the station this Thursday night. And, and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll have my birthday party at his house. So I had found out after the fact where Bean lived. I got his address in Hancock Park. And we had 500 listeners meet at the station. First of all, they didn't want people to know where the station was. And then we caravaned to Bean's house at midnight on a Thursday night. And 500 listeners showed up on his lawn, and we rang the front doorbell. I'll never forget, his wife answered the phone, opens the door, and there's this <laughs> bugged-out eyes, just couldn't believe all these people, slammed the door shut. And the crowd started chanting, you suck, you suck, Kevin and Bean suck, and because uh, they wouldn't my, let him in. Yeah. Rodney was there. There were two birthday cakes brought by my buddy to enjoy. We just wanted him to open the door and come out for a minute. Although actually, you know, I yeah. was I wanted revenge. Yeah. And then after that, somebody 
disconnected the power to the house, turned off the outlets on the outside. Oh, my God. There were bonfires, I think, on his lawn. Police helicopter came around. Cop cars surrounded the street. Nobody got arrested, but that was it for the poor man. Two days yeah. later, they fired me. Because well, of that. Because of that. But what a way to go. It's pretty funny yeah. until you're blackballed for about 20 years. That was, did you get that blackballed for 20 years? Well, I think it was tough to get a gig, yeah, because um, I sued and... I just wanted my show back. You know, I created Loveline, and the next thing you Take know... Take it back so you could go to another... Well, actually, I wanted to go back on K-Rock. I just felt, you know, yeah. I tried anything I could, and Dr. Drew said, if this goes on longer than two weeks, I'm out of here, too. And two weeks passed by, and he was my best friend, and then the next thing you know, he wasn't my best friend. Yeah. He was looking out for number one. I don't know how I would have reacted, but, you know, he knew I created the show. I brought him on, and then he kept doing the show, so... Uh, that was pretty hard to handle. I bet. Finally, I had to let go of it. It took me until about f four years ago to finally just say, you know what? Because I, I had a tough time getting jobs. Yeah. You know, I had to create my own shows. And so I just said, you know, I'm just going to find my job is I was broke, couldn't get it, get anything going, is to make something positive out of every day. And that is my job. And since then... Things have changed. I met my fiance Amy, and uh, we bought this house together, and then uh, got the gig with KOCI, the small little radio station. I decided to treat it like it was K-Rock, the biggest nice. thing ever, and it has grown, and uh, I think it was all the change in my attitude, because I was angry. I was really bitter. I had a right to be, but at some point, what's it going to do? Yeah. You know, I mean... You know, Loveline, it made it easier when Loveline went off the air. Yeah. To see them go on MTV and, you know, we, we had a deal with Comedy Central that was pending with, with Creative Artist Agency. When I got fired, I begged them to bring me back. I apologized, but they they made the decision to carry on. And so guys like Corolla, he would never admit it, but he would, wouldn't have had a career without Loveline. So basically... For sure. Out of these guys had, had taken the show that I created, and there was nothing I could do, and parlayed it into a career. And so, um, you know, but at this point, that was that's kind of like the wild, wild west days back in the early like radio days, or like was there a no, way that, to protect your, you know, your well, property? Or they they claimed I was a work for hire. We had these, you know, boilerplate contracts we had to sign. And Mel Carmazon, who became the head of CBS, he had these really strict contracts. So I tried to sue, and they said I was a work for hire, and unfortunately, that I lost. I think I could have had a better attorney, maybe, but it's not fair to put it on that guy either. Yeah. What happened happened, so they gave a summary judgment. They they offered to settle at one point, but my attorney said he'll take ten million. So, uh, which I, it wasn't about the money; it was just getting back on the show, yeah. and that wasn't going to happen. If I had to do it again, I should have just sucked it up, and you know dealt with the circumstances and just kept doing the show yeah and that's you know now i'm pretty calm no matter what happens yeah and, and you know it was a learning experience because whether you're right or wrong you know it's, yeah. a, it's a learning experience yeah yeah so, and you you had a tough time you like you know struggled you went to new york at one point right? yeah i went to new york I, I had to get away from hearing about loveline every day somebody <laughs> would ask me what happened i mean for for yeah. the entire time for 25 yeah. years yeah and so I went there to try to do a syndicated show. It fell through. I became an actor. I've acted in all kinds of stuff. Never anything that was really making a living, but I got my Screen Actors Guild card, got an actor's equity, tried out for Broadway plays. I still do acting auditions all the time. Wow. And um, 
you know, I don't get too much. I think I'm better in radio, but uh, <laughs> but I've become a pretty good actor too. But uh, you know, so my fiance said, "Why do you do this? Why do you keep doing acting?" I said, "Well, my agent's submitting me. It doesn't take long. You yeah. now do it from home because of COVID. You don't even go in for the auditions." Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so I tried to do that. Lived in New York, went broke, came back here. And Amy just loved me from the beginning, just absolutely loved me. I didn't go out with any woman for like 10, 12 years. It just, I had a bad, you know, self-image at the time. And um, let's see, what was I going to say? Love, love happened at the, at the least expensive Yeah, time. yeah, now I'm getting married. Who would have thunk? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and all the, you know, and having a career at this point in my life is just like a bonus. You yeah. know, I don't take it for granted. Yeah. How did you get back on the horse and get fit like what did you oh i always wouldn't run i was always running which is good and i didn't do any drugs you know at that point i'd given up pot i you know i smoked pot like a choo-choo train for about 15 years and then finally in my early 30s i felt my brain was turning green i have nothing against people smoking pot i don't care what people do but for me it was just i to overload no nope. yeah no yeah and i have some friends who spent their whole lives smoking pot i have a great friend who became a lawyer and you know he's smoking all kinds of friends i i'm fine with it but it's just for me i'd had enough yeah, yeah. so yeah pretty much i would drink a little bit yeah you know or when i went out i would get buzzed yeah yeah but i mean look you, you're super fit compared to what you were yeah in your in these pictures yeah i run every day i mean honestly i'm on the tom brady diet now because of my voice issues if i don't get on it I, I can't just eat spicy foods i have to be off caffeine this just went down about a week or two ago mm. after that wingnuts gig i had no voice the next day it was just gone wow and so i went to an ear nose and throat guy and he goes hey man this is really horrible i mean they they had pustules coming out of my vocal cords and big buildups of yeast said you gotta you can't you gotta stop caffeine no spicy foods no you can't drink and I said, what about beer chugging? I chugged a beer. Beer chugging, that's like hell to your vocal cords. It's, really? It's like, you know, it's devastating. That's you interesting. I, I never thought. Looks like I'm I didn't like either. Podcasting. I, I don't know. My voice yeah. seems all right. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, I was, I'm doing three, three shows sure, a day. Yeah. You know, I'm talking my ass off. And so after he said that, I had to just radically change. So now I'm on the Tom Brady diet, ready for my dessert of avocado ice cream you know or whatever <laughs> but you know what it's 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 working it's made me feel better my voice is fine you yeah. know and and uh so you know yeah i don't have a problem with it you know i mean it's like an athlete in training now that's yeah. the difference i think ozzy has said the same thing you know a lot of these guys are touring in their 70s you know they're not partying like rock stars now you know yeah. There's no way mick jagger in his upper 70s yeah is, you know uh, the, the show starts at like three now not eight or nine and it's probably <laughs> over by you know like <laughs> we're doing a happy hour happy show hour. <laughs> yeah. oh you mean my show no no i just meant like mick jagger oh yeah stuff. right instead of partying you know this you know last last song request I, at, at one o'clock in the morning yeah when i uh, told him that i wanted to name the show late night with chalky he was like he's like i don't want to have late night you know can we call it happy hour lar <laughs> i'm like no uh, I like late night with chocolate. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. No, it's good. I it's can like see you guys fucking... doing it on TV. Yeah. You know? 
Uh, our, our, we got face for radio. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and likewise, you know. We've had a lot of requests for, uh, yeah. YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. By the way, what I'm doing is I have to reheat the decaffeinated coffee. Doesn't yeah, no taste good? Uh, yeah. Lukewarm? Yeah. I just have to have it hot. But then I can't have it too hot either. That's another thing. You wouldn't believe all the things you have to sacrifice, you know, yeah. to do it. But you get used to it. Yeah. I mean, it's no big deal. Yeah. So have you ever considered doing podcast shows or? Um, you know, I've thought about it, but I mean, you know, maybe I should, but I think building up the radio uh, that's your network yeah, that's yeah. syndication, because I think having a mainstream platform is going to be really helpful to getting the podcast going. Thank you, Late. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think... Uh, I'll get you. you. Thank you very much. You know, you definitely have a following and you probably have a network that you could pull from that you can get interesting people and have a podcast on top and even doing a, that yeah and a youtube channel you know i think i would need a producer to, to hook up the guests i just don't think i have enough time to to do it myself yeah but i mean i know all these people but a lot of the people that were back in the k-rock days it's a disenfranchised group i mean i'm no every day i get recognized but it's not like they're all running to the radio anymore. It's yeah. like you have to almost build up a new network to do it. Yeah. Well, podcasting could probably help bridge that gap. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe you guys are right. I mean, yeah. serious. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're, we're definitely, I mean, we've been doing this about three years, but we're still novice about like the totally. whole, you know, podcast world and how, you know, everything all our, works. All our rep friends listen to podcasts. Yeah. Right, because we are in the car all the time, yeah. and we don't like to hear commercials and stuff. So, podcasts kind of fit the bill as podcasts as have commercials though too. Yeah, yeah. but that's you know, true. <laughs> we, we we put a lot of commercials. We, uh, speaking of sponsors, we, we, we need a few. Plug more your sponsor, you. man. Um, we we no, we we really want to like, um, I mean promote you know the, the the show, but you know you need sponsors to help you know keep the dream alive. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, Layman's saying, like, you know, you can only listen to so much music, so much talk radio, so much sports, whatever. And, and people are really, like, into the podcast because it's long form. You get to, like, listen yeah. to somebody. It's, it's more personal. I think and, that's, I mean, that's a tribute to you guys that you've done it for three years. I mean, you, yeah. you should keep doing it because I think time is the ally. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And, and great guests. You know, we got to yeah. keep booking, you know, great guests. and. And, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface of people that we want to interview. Yeah. How did how did you guys decide to do me? What 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 went? You know what's funny, dude, is I don't know if I started following you or you popped up on my... Like, circle, my, yeah, recommendation my, um, of people you know. On my Instagram, but I hit you up on Instagram. Do you know what? Amy sometimes, like, will... Oh, I can't tell the secrets, but she'll invade people that... You know, or in my Market. target group, yeah. yeah, to to you know let them know stir stir the pie. Yeah, maybe that was it. Honestly, yeah, I, I was tripping because I looked. I go, poor man. I go, fuck, no way, poor man. And then I hit him. I told him, I'm like, hey, I just hit a poor man. I'm sometimes, sometimes people go, that guy's still alive. <laughs> I, I get that. I laugh. Dude, I've seen you over the years running. running. Yeah. yeah, and I said hi to you. You said hi to me. Um, I used to work at Huntington Surf and Sport for like 12 years. Fantastic. So we've, we've seen each other over the years, but now that we, you know, have the show, we want to, you know, yeah. interview people that have history in, in our culture and, 
Yeah, and talk and, about I mean, you know, our, your experiences. Yeah, I mean, our show is is surf talk, and it's anything and everything about like, yeah, yeah. photo op. But like, <laughs> but K Rock and and the poor man, dude, that's synonymous to Southern California. Yeah, you know the surf yeah. surf scene, and for sure, yeah. I mean, it, it, it draws close to, to, to our hearts and how we grew up, like Lennon said. It, it was, there was no serious satellite radio. There was nothing. Yeah. You had, you know, a few TV stations and you had the radio. And it was like, I mean, we grew up on the radio. It, it's pretty incredible that people remember all the time. I yeah. mean, and believe me, I'm appreciative of that. Don't For get sure. me wrong. And, and I think there's an opportunity to bring back some of the, you know, the kind of, you know, down-to-earth, you know, kind of organic yeah, radio. Yeah, I, yeah. I really do. Because I think people, especially maybe maybe it was because of COVID, but I think people feel disenfranchised. And my thing, you know, is positive. You yeah, know, yeah. I'm kind of like a kumbaya, yeah. sort of, but and, with an edge. Well, you know, you know we interview... It's like us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're well, positive, but we're edgy. Yeah. I mean, we, we interview, you know... Pro surfers, businessmen, surf shop owners, entrepreneurs. entrepreneurs. Yeah. And, you know, our whole thing is just like how we're all connected through surf in the community and how to, you know, support our local businesses and stuff. So, you know, ours is truly grassroots, not just because of, you know, the people we know within the industry and we have access to a lot of people, but just just the, the message of positive and, yeah. and, and supporting, you know, your local retailer or, you know, your restaurant or your business and stuff. So... I mean, it, def- it definitely goes a long way, and I think that's what you're grasping on, too. It's like, man, there's such a need for that more community-driven grassroots and still yeah. put out a great product. Apparently, radio has done research, although I'm worried anytime radio <laughs> does research. Cause I, but they say that it seems like the, the local radio feel to radio shows is, is what gets people really excited, you know? Not all these national shows yeah. that that don't really reach people that that seem you know they're not not there and so maybe that's the way it goes. I mean, I, I'll tell you what I like about you guys. I mean, I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth, you know, and uh, because I'm so relaxed, it's just like we're having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, then, yeah. and that's that's a good quality for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what uh, people when when they talk about talk to us or comment on our feed or whatever they, they go it's like we're we're there you know we're a fly on the wall listening to your conversation yeah 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 because you're listening to this you know in your car maybe you're going for a run maybe you know a long drive whatever you're you know at the office you know got your yeah. headphones on while you're on behind the computer so yeah it is a little bit more of an intimate like you know kind of conversation with their clothes on. Yeah. Do you think we should let the should we let the poor dog in? Yeah. Let's see. I'm I'm worried he's probably going to get away, run away. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, hold on, hold on. Stay right there. Let's see if he comes. Bear, bear, bear. <laughs> Come on in, bear, bear. Come on in, bear, bear. He, he's been. I've been eyeing him. He's been hanging out the top of the staircase. Oh really? Bear, bear. <laughs> who's whose uh, signature is this? Come on in, here comes Bear Bear. Get ready. Now, and now it's time to kick out the jams, motherfuckers. Uh, hi. hi. Bear Bear. Yeah. Don't destroy their equipment. Your little bud. Michael D? Is it Mike D? No. Uh, it's, it might be. I think it is. Yeah. Um, that's Amy's. It's a bunch of jars of jams. 
Is, what's, who was uh, Michael D with? Uh, a punk band of some sort. Uh, Beastie Boys? Beastie Boys. No, I don't think it's him. Okay. No. But um, there's a video of me interviewing the Beastie Boys backstage at the Hollywood Palladium, and they pied me. You know, that was during Adventures with a Poor Man. That TV show, we had a, a segment called Backstage with a Poor Man, and so I interviewed the Beastie Boys when they first came to L.A., I interviewed Ray Manzarek of The Doors. His son listened to the, my radio show, and yeah. he showed me where he and Jim Morrison lived, told me how they kept their music rights. They wow. were UCLA grads. And then he bought me lunch. He bought me like a uh, sausage sandwich, and, and he got <laughs> we got little pins. His was LSD, the one he got on. But, but uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. We also interviewed... Um, who else did we interview? Weird Al. That's why I have that Weird Al pick yeah, back yeah. when he was really young. And then... Uh, what a genius that guy was, man. So, oh, genius. I mean, a great musician. You know, he just... Every, yeah. yeah. How about so, all the tribute bands now? Isn't that something? They're yeah. all like rock stars. They just play the songs of others. Um, recently, you just did your 20-hour your New Year's... 29 hours. 29 hours. Yeah. Holy smokes. How did you, how did you pull that off? 29 hours straight. Is, is Bear okay? I don't yeah, want to chew right. up your hand. Right. Um, you know, that just came to me. You talk about doing radio. Yeah. For some reason, I always had the idea of be so cool, like a DJ locking themselves in the booth and doing a marathon air shift. So on New Year's Eve two years ago, I did I did the first poor man's, I did 28 hours. Yeah. And then this past, and I bumped it up to 29. <laughs> so I was on the air 29 straight hours, but we had different sponsored hours and the sponsor would do whatever they wanted in their own hour and I would kind of guide it along or, or be part of it depending on how much they needed me yeah and it, it, the brutalist part is when it gets to be I started at six in the morning when my on my normal air shift yeah and then I concluded this is Friday Friday was New Year's Eve in 2021 started there it was called poor man's 29 hour New Year's party and I started then, and then I wanted to complete my shift for the second time the next day. And so you get to about... Get a day off. <laughs> yeah, then you get to about 5 or 6 in the morning, on you know, after you've been on the air for 22 hours or 23 hours. It, and it's just, that's when you start, you know, questioning your, you know, questioning your mortality. Yeah. You know, and your your vocal cords get tightened. But, but quite the experience. So I take it year to year. I don't know how many more times I can do it. Yeah. But I had about... How fun, though. Oh, it was so much fun. Bear Bear, come here. The poor dog. So psyched. It's okay. Come on, Bear Bear. So, you, you you know, before we started the podcast, we, you know, you live at the beach right here in Newport. We were asking about, you know, do you still get out there and surf? And, and you know... Yeah, I yeah. suck at surfing, though. I can be honest. Yeah. I really suck at it. Lyndon does, too, but it's okay. We don't we don't judge him. <laughs> we won't judge him. And you're really good? <laughs> well, you were a pro. Yeah. He was a pro. Yeah. Wow. Um, you got magazine covers and video parts. Do you still find it as easy to surf, or does it get tougher? Uh, you know, it just depends. I have, I get, like, I got a bad back, so if, if oh. I'm feeling good, it's easy. If the back hurts, then I feel like my ability is, like, de definitely cut down for sure. Yeah. With but, me, I just, I, it's hard to get up. Yeah. But, I, and I'm fit, yeah, you know, yeah. but. It's just different muscle surfing, memory. And, yeah. It's like, you could be the fittest person. But if you're not using the surf muscles, 
Right. It's, it's, don't it's you tough. don't you just have to surf a lot? A lot, yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's no excuse. I mean, I'm one house from the sand. Yeah. You know, half of it's just you know, have, like Lennon says, keeping those those muscles active and you know, and catching waves. The only way you're going to have fun, yeah. and you know, and you're going to get better. So it's like staying right. fit enough to catch waves. And I and, just I just get scared that I'm going to just you know. The board will go to the bottom, and I'll just wipe out horribly. I, I think about that, which I shouldn't. Yeah. You know, you just got to charge it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, dude, um, this has been amazing. Oh, thanks, you guys. Yeah. How long were we talking for? Quite a while, huh? Yeah. Um, hour forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> I want a copy of this. Oh, yeah, dude, for sure. It's gonna be. Yeah. How many times did I incriminate myself? <laughs> hey, we do that every time, every episode. <laughs> But man, this has been an honor having one of Southern California, I mean, radio, radio royalty. You know? Yeah. Um, it brings the world's back famous poor man. Oh my gosh. The world famous K-Rock. Yeah. Thanks. Let me let me get my current stations too. Okay, yeah. so Plug it. I'm on 6 to 11 in the morning at 101.5 KOCI here in Newport Beach area. And you can stream it at poorman.net or kociradio.com Monday through Friday. Also, I'm on the the uh, I'm on Radio Suerte in the same area. It goes a little further, Santa Ana, sometimes to uh, sometimes to Palos Verdes or um, uh, uh, what's the name of that other city near Palos Verdes? Redondo, Torrance. Uh, um, Pals Verdes, Torrance, uh, Gardena. It starts with a P also. Um, Pals Verdes. It's... Pasadena, um, God, Pacific is it? Palisades? No, no, a little small town next to Palos Verdes. Um, Torrance? On the water. Uh, San Pedro? San Pedro, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, so <laughs> Let's that, go up and down right. the coast. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, 90.3 FM, Radio Suerte, uh, 6 to 10 a.m., then in Arizona, it's uh, the Rattler Rocks. I'm not sure the number. Uh, in Phoenix, and then in Ridgecrest, China Lake, it's um, Z something or other. Can't remember, which is terrible. <laughs> and then I'm also on Lucky 98 FM in Laughlin, Bullhead oh. City, um, oh. six to nine a.m., six to ten a. six to ten a.m. at the one in Ridgecrest, China oh. Lake. And hopefully, we'll go from five, and we'll see where it goes oh. from there. Yeah. And, and everybody could go <laughs> port. Oh. port. Poor man. Oh, oh, oh. That's a poor dog. Poormand.net. Yeah. My cell. People can uh, contact uh, me on the cell. Yeah. 949-870-6155. Good job, Bear. Good job. You even got an appearance from Bear, one year old. Um, she wants attention. You know what? We're good. Do one of your... Uh, Closing grandiose closeout statements for Late Night with Chalky podcast. And you guys, I just want to thank you. One of the most incredible experiences I have ever had in my career is to be on for an hour and 45 minutes with Late Night with Chalky. Oh, the thrill. It's the highest high I've ever had. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Peace. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bonsai Bowls, hands down, the best bowls. Period. Seven locations: two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls. Go get some. 
Caliente Southwest Grill. Clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.